Our Gospel reading today comes from the Gospel of Luke, the third chapter, verses 15 to 17 and 21 to 22. As the people were filled with expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them, saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. May we hear and understand what the scriptures are teaching us today. Epiphany. The word comes from the Greek. It can be translated as the light shines forth, or simply the light shines. So, what is the light to which it refers? Well, this manifestation of light could be knowledge, or understanding, or even relationship. The Magi, they are a symbol. They represent the world that comes to see the light, the world that seeks the light. They seek something, even when many of those closest don't see it. You are invited to journey with us, guided to let the light shine around you, and in you, and then from you, as we seek to continue to become the disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. We who have seen the light of Christ now desire to reflect it in our community and in our world by letting others see Christ through our loving presence. Epiphany is about the revealing of light to the world. Not all see it, of course. This is, this is why Jesus frequently said, let those who have ears to hear, hear. And we have, or will have, moments when we aren't so sure that we have seen that light. Yet, we who gather for worship have caught a glimpse of something. And when we come to celebrate and to lean into that, we are leaning into hope and light and love. What we have come to understand is that we are to be the light, so that others might see in us the light of Christ. This is the way we might then acknowledge the light we have seen in one another and give God thanks for that vision in the darkness. This is the first Sunday after Epiphany, which means that the story is about the baptism of Jesus. This is the second of the three Epiphanies that border this liturgical season. We begin with the wise men who saw the star. They were given an Epiphany, a revelation about who this child really was, not only the son of a poor girl and her husband who couldn't find a room, but the savior of the world. In this telling of Jesus' baptism, we have come to Jesus, fully grown, coming to the Jordan, to John, to be baptized. That's John the Baptist. Now John, he preached. Well, actually, I wouldn't so much say preached as he shouted, or hollered, as some of my Louisiana friends would say. He hollered in the wilderness. 
By the way, John is believed to have started his peculiar ministry in a cave. It was near his birthplace. It was called Ein Kerem. The cave has actually been excavated. By Jesus' time, he's made it to the River Jordan. I often wonder whether he was preaching and baptizing in the same place where pilgrims now go on their tours today. This is a place where the Jordan is narrow and you can wade across it. It's, it's less than a stone's throw across a creek. The wilderness here is real, of course, but it's also symbolic, isn't it? It's the place where God meets and leads and teaches the people. The notion that the people were traveling out to the desert to engage with him evokes the Exodus, or Jesus, or Joseph and his brothers, foraging out into the wilderness to discover God's way, to learn God's plan. It also evokes being at risk, perhaps being lost, but still searching for and seeking God, looking for home. I imagine if we met John the Baptist on the street today, he'd be kind of frightening, at least to youngest children and maybe very, very proper adults. His bizarre sort of survivalist, I'm going to eat locusts and dress in camel's hair mode of living was kind of odd, but he was singularly on fire for God. Understand this. John's baptism is actually kind of peculiar. It doesn't quite fit. It's, it's not what we understand today as baptism. Because it's not Christian baptism, remember? He was preparing the way. He was before Jesus Christ. And it's not Je Jewish immersions either. The Jews were accustomed by then to the habit of dipping into a mikveh to purify themselves. We recognize that a lot of Jesus' healings took place at, uh, I guess we would call them mega mikvahs, things like the Pool of Siloam or the Pool of Bethesda, huge public mikvahs where people purified themselves before entering the temple precincts at Passover. Jesus capitalized on their presence. He capitalized on their hunger for God in such places by teaching and healing there. John's baptism is something even beyond this. He was wrenching up, enriching, and amplifying these ritual washings to something much more meaningful, much more intense than a routine ritual. This was ultimate, decisive, a true call to repent, to turn. And here and now, today, too many people who claim to be Christians refuse to repent. They refuse to seek forgiveness, claiming they've done their best and that's good enough. Part of the problem is complete misunderstanding. Partly it's our societal mentality of deserving and the mindset that repenting or saying you're sorry is weakness. It's also not even really understanding what forgiveness and repentance are. You see, to repent is not to grovel in guilt. The Hebrew word for it, shub, is to make a 180 degree turn. And the Greek word, metanoia, is a change of mind. And forgiveness, forgiveness isn't getting off a hook if you are the forgiven, nor is it feeling warm fuzzies for the one that we should forgive. The Greek, aphesis, to forgive, 
F-E-M-E, it simply means release, to let go. Instead of clinging to wrongs done, holding them so close that the toxicity is mine or ours to bear, it makes it ours and not the others. It poisons us. Instead of doing that, what we do is we open our hands and let the past and the guilt and the wrong done go. God does this for us and with us. Think about that and release that toxicity. I love it. I just love it that at the Jordan River, the heavenly voice speaks to Jesus. I often wonder if the other people overheard it. I wonder, you are my beloved. The voice says, you. This you is even more impactful to us. Can you feel it? Can you feel the you? Can you understand that you, you out there hearing this sermon, do you know that you are God's beloved? You are. We are all one in him as the beloved. Jesus is the expression of God's love. I love that. God is inclusive, not exclusive. The first Sunday of the Epiphany season, that's today, and the last Sunday after Epiphany contain two revelations that also identify Jesus as God's Son. We begin with the baptism, and then we will end with the transfiguration, that misty mountaintop experience. This one has water, wind, and fire, so we know that something important was about to happen. After all, it always helps to have special effects. <laughs> all three of these, water, fire, and wind, have a mystical quality too. Water is the stuff of life. Beginning with birth, we thirst for it all our days, and someday we may fight wars over it. We may be able to live without oil, but we cannot live without water, the stuff of life. Fire brings light in the darkest night and heat in the coldest winter. And harnessing its power has helped us to build civilizations. And wind is the most evocative sign of the Spirit moving among us. The word Spirit in our reading from the Gospel of Luke can also be translated as wind. When the heaven was opened and the Spirit of God descended upon Jesus standing there in the River Jordan, the wings of that dove must have felt like a great rustling wind blowing through. The part about the heavens opening and the dove, it's, it's interesting. The verb used, the one translated as open, is schizomenius. It's a vivid word, even dramatic. It actually means the heavens aren't merely opened, but ripped apart. If something is simply opened, it can close easily. But if you've ever torn a shirt or jeans, you know that what is torn apart cannot easily return to its former state. Through that permanently ripped open heaven, the Spirit descends on Jesus in bodily form, Luke says. Like a dove, he says. And the voice, you are my son, my beloved, in you I am well pleased. And what about this dove? The dove kind of transports us back to the ark. 
the bird of redemption as the perilous floodwaters subsided, an airborne sign of God's presence and assurance. Notice, this is the first and maybe the clearest mention or explication of the Trinity in Scripture. No wonder we use a Trinitarian formula in baptism, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. No theological postulates, no explanations about this threeness of God. It's, it's a story. It's all relationship. Everyone gets drawn in. So, even in the midst of the fire and the wind and the water and skies breaking open with blinding light, there is that word, beloved. When the skies open, the words we hear are beloved and listen. Hardly words of judgment or words that we should fear. Consider your own baptism, if you are baptized, in light of this story and whether you can imagine yourself as beloved. Then consider the same question about each person, child or adult, in your life, considering them as a beloved child of God, and think about whether pausing to remember that would affect how you and others treat that person. If we see them as God sees them, would it change how we treat people? Not that baptism makes us beloved, but it certainly does remind us that we already are. Marilyn Robinson brilliantly wrote in her book, Gilead, about baptism. Here is what she said. There is a reality in blessing, which I take baptism to be, primarily. It doesn't enhance sacredness, but it acknowledges it, and there is power in that. Martin Luther, the great Reformation leader, passionately reminded people to remember your baptism. Many, but certainly not all, of us were baptized as babies, and we can't really remember our baptisms, of course. But I think Luther meant something bigger than our historical memory of one particular day. And I have a feeling he wasn't just talking about dressing up in a pretty white dress or suit. He wasn't talking about having a party and, if we're a baby, everyone saying how sweet we look. In his catechism, Luther wrote, A truly Christian life is nothing else than a daily baptism once begun and ever to be continued. I think Martin Luther wanted us to remember each day who we are and whose we are and how beloved we are. Even in an age when we spend so much time talking about self-esteem, don't we still long to hear that we are beloved? So, are you ready? Are you ready to remember your baptism? Are you ready to remember your vows and ready to remember that you are beloved? I hope you are ready and ready to journey with us, ready to let the light shine around you and in you and then from you. Remember, Epiphany is about revealing the light to the world. We are to bring and to be that light so that others might see in us the light of Christ. Amen. Amen.